0: how's it going good well you're had no problem talking to each other but me man you won't won't even say hi (laughs) thank you (laughs) nice dude (laughs) well it's great to be here with you this morning my name is ryan i'm one of the pastors here on staff and it is my pleasure this morning to be able to kind of wrap up our series on the sermon on the mount we've been going through this passage uh for quite a while, I think since January. So, I um, mean, we're just going to keep doing it until you get it. So, <laughs> uh, this morning we're going to wrap it up. And and it's kind of fun because this is this really is the crux of Jesus' teaching. He talks so much about his take on what spiritual life really looks like and and what it means instead of religion to really have a life of following him. And so today he's going to kind of wrap all of that up. And one thing we find when we look at this passage... As No matter where you're at in your faith, some of you have been following Christ for 50 years and you're here with us this morning. Some of you, maybe it's just a few weeks, and some of you, you aren't even following Christ yet. And you say, I, I'm still kind of exploring. I'm not sure if I want to dive in. But this passage really relates to a lot of us. And really, in, in some ways, Jesus is giving us a, a promise and some encouragement. Because he deals with this issue that no matter how long you've been a Christian, you fi- you've probably figured something out. And that is just because you're a follower of Christ, that doesn't mean that your life is now free from troubles. It doesn't mean that because you're a follower of Christ that everything is going to be smooth. And so Jesus approaches this passage and wraps up his message today with the understanding, and he, he relates to floodwaters coming in our life. And he doesn't say if floods come in your life. This passage ends and say when they come. When we face difficult times in life, Jesus ends this passage and says, you can build your life on the foundation of me or on everything else. And it's really wrapping up the whole passage that we see to this point. So today, that's what we're going to explore. And before we do that, I want you to keep in mind the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of those. It's so cliche if you've been around church for any bit of time. You've heard it before. You've heard blessed are the poor in spirit. You've heard the Lord's Prayer You've heard things like store up treasures in heaven, things that become really familiar if you've been around church. So familiar that sometimes we forget that the nature of this message is a radical message. We find through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talks and teaches us that the holiness of God is so much greater than what we could imagine. It's greater than what we can attain on our own. And we find that His grace is more durable. It holds up even in our sin. Through this, we find that his goodness is better than anything we can seek after in life. We find that his love is more tenacious than even our desire sometimes to run away. Even in this sermon, we find that God's presence is closer than often we recognize as he deals with what it means to have God the Father in our lives. And we find that the call to follow Jesus is more radical than most of us and most of our churches want to confess. And so really this passage that we look at today is about a radical life of following Christ. I recall this story I read in the book Ragamuffin Gospel. It's a great book about uh, the grace of God. But in it, Brendan Manning tells a story of a family that goes to a church. And that morning at the church, the pastor spoke about a story from the Old Testament about Abraham when God tested him and said, do you have enough faith to trust me even with your own son? And Abraham kind of stands up to the test, but it was really an ordeal that he went through. And at the end of this passage, the pastor looked at the congregation and he talked to some. He said, so what do you think about this message? And one family said, I tell you what it means for me and my family. It means that we're going to go find a new church. Okay, by the way, that's not something that as pastors we want to hear from you uh, But they said no, we're gonna go find a new church. He said well, why what why are you gonna find a new church? And they said because when we hear stories that you tell about the god of the bible When we see a god that it will ask for everything and be willing to give and take away A god that calls us to the brink of our faith that asks us to plunge in and to see his might in action When I hear about that god, I get excited But then I look around the church and I feel like I'm in a country club for the safe and convenient. Said I don't want to be a part of that anymore. So this morning, I want us to know that Jesus is not teaching about a country club religion. This is about a faith to an exciting life of following the God of all things. And it's a radical life. It's a life that you will have ups and downs, but in one that we can find our sure foundation. So keep that in mind today as we study our text. Pray with me. God, we thank you again for your goodness, and I pray right now, Lord, that my words would be yours and that this would be about you. And that this morning, God, as we look at foundations in our lives and what we build our lives upon, Lord, we know that following you is this radical call. It's difficult sometimes. Teach us Lord to have the faith to trust that you are our sure foundation Teach us to have the faith to follow you where you lead us We give you this time now in your name. Amen All right, I invite you to open your bibles to matthew chapter 7 verse 24 And this is the end as I said of jesus's Sermon he was standing on the side of the hill preaching for six months Uh, Wow, okay Thank you. You can wake up now. It's 1045. All right. Good morning. Um, No, it's it's one continued passage. And he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 34. Anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is maybe compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, they'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came. The wind blew and slammed against the house. And it fell, and great was the fall. See, Jesus ends his whole uh, passage and his message about what it means to be his follower. And he says, really, there's two choices. One, you can follow my ways and my words. And in Hebrew, when you say anyone who hears, it also includes to obey. So you hear, when you hear my words in the Hebraically speaking, that means and do what they say. You build your life on a sure foundation. And anyone who doesn't, it's as if you're building your house on the sand. Now we're going to take a step back for a moment and talk about a few different uh, illustrations from Scripture about foundation. So here Jesus is saying that he is the foundation the rock that we build our lives upon. This was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 28. It was written about the Messiah years before. It says this in Isaiah 28 verse 16. Behold, I'll lay in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation that will be firmly placed. It was this idea of, and before this he said, you're building your life on the foundation of deception and lies. You're trusting in things that aren't true, but I will put a stone in Zion that will be a sure foundation. Okay, and Jesus starts to use this imagery, not here in chapter 7, but he's talking about being the foundation. Later, we find Jesus say that I am that cornerstone. We find throughout the New Testament scriptures and early church, they keep referring to Jesus as a cornerstone, the foundation that we build our lives upon. Now, to understand that imagery a little bit better, let's get a little bit of the culture. See, when he said this in Isaiah, talking about a cornerstone that will be placed in Zion, the the hearers of the time would think, oh, this means we're going to rebuild our temple. And in rebuilding our temple, you would use stones. Now, ancient Near East, they built things with large stones. That's how they built things. And a cornerstone would be uh, the, the largest and most secure stones that keep the building together. Okay, we actually have some pictures. um, Robin, fire up the multimedia presentation. All right, here we are. This is These are the foundation stones of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Okay, so if you're a Jewish listener in the time of Isaiah, you think, oh, one day God's going to place stones here that will be a sure foundation. They think, oh, that must be our temple. That must be that we will have a place to worship again. And on the time of Christ, these existed, and they still exist to this day. But you would think, oh, maybe this is the foundation that they're talking about. Look at these stones. These are on what is now uh, the Western Wall, which is just, actually, it's not the temple, but it's the wall that we call the Temple Mount that held up the temple in the time of Christ. Since then, that has been torn down in year 70. it was uh, The temple was destroyed. But these stones still exist to this day. And these stones, as you can see, are cut with such precision because they're foundation stones that you still, to this day, couldn't take a butter knife and stick it between them. Now you think, okay, I'm not so impressed, but there's no mortar. There's no cement. They're just cut precisely and placed here. Now some of these stones are 8 to 10 feet wide. Some of these weigh a couple tons. Pretty impressive, right? Let's look at the next stone, uh, next picture. This is a side view of a corner stone. Now, these cornerstones were up to 15 feet wide and 40 feet long. Now, we estimate those weigh about 80 tons, 160,000 pounds to place for the cornerstone. Next slide. Here's another view of what those cornerstones look like. You can see how far it goes down. One, The next slide. We'll show you kind of an outline. Those stones, that's the outline of the cornerstones on the western wall today hundred and sixty thousand pounds Glad I didn't have that building project It's amazing really isn't it But you look at these stones and you think that is what a sure foundation looks like Anything that has this foundation would never fail So the jews in the time of christ would think oh the cornerstone that isaiah is speaking about must certainly be These 80 ton stones these are secure But Jesus starts saying, no, 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 even these stones aren't secure. In fact, to this day, if you walk around that temple mount, you'll find the rest of the wall has torn down and piled up there. You can climb around these ancient stones Say, I don't know if you can, but my kids did climb around the stones. I have pictures of them climbing on it, and I think, yeah, that's pretty cool. This is old. Uh, (laughs) But to see them on there and to think, even these cornerstones, a sure foundation of a building that will never fail. In fact, Herod, when he built it, thought, I built the most magnificent thing ever, di- ever di- constructed. Yet, when the Romans had enough, they tore it down in year 70. These cornerstones weren't the foundation that would hold up. Jesus knew that and he said, no, the foundation is me and my words. It's not things built by man. Now we're gonna go back to matthew chapter 7 in this story. He brings up another imagery about foundation Which is even more graphic He says if you follow my ways and my words you're building on a rock a sure foundation If you don't you're built on the sand now another phenomenon that happens in israel to this day Is in the wilderness? It's a very dry dry land And it's the hills are pretty rocky you have the mountains are 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 pretty strong with the rocks. But there's places where there's sand. And in the wilderness, when you see sand, the sand is there because when it rains, everything floods. It fills up these uh, these channels. We call them today. They're called wadis. It's the same as if you go out in our desert here and you ever see the kind of dry river channels. You get a heavy rainstorm, for example, around Jerusalem in the mountains. And about a half hour later, the areas that were filled with sand, the wadis, fill. With water To illustrate that So we can kind of picture What Jesus is referring to The graphic image Of rocks or sand And where you build your house When the floods come We have some video Taken by the disciples And so uh, Robin Fire up the video This is after a rainstorm Notice it's not raining here This is the desert This is what it looks like After one rainstorm that's the sand, down there. He <laughs> just said, good morning, Sikos church. This is where the sand is now. And this next clip will show you what happens to the sand when the rivers are flowing. you move your clothes and your camera. (laughs) 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 All right. Yo, in Hebrew means, wow, that was really cool. So, (laughs) yeah. So do you see this graphic image of what Not those guys the uh, (laughs) Of when the rain falls When jesus says you can build your house on the sand or the rocks to the hearers of his day They weren't thinking of a beach where you build your sandcastle and I always think of that And that's that's a good illustration too But you know, I build my sandcastle with my kids and a few minutes later. They're like stomping on it, right? No, jesus is saying no the sand Are these dry riverbeds? That's where the sand is in the desert only a fool would build their house there. In fact, Jesus meant this to be an exaggeration. It was another one of those that if you heard that, you'd say, we all know not to build on the sand. We know what happens when the floods come. We know what the sand looks like. Of course, we wouldn't do that. If I asked many of you here this morning, if you're a follower of Christ and I said, would you build your house on the foundation of Christ or other things, most of us would say, Well, of course, we want to build on Christ. Nobody would build on the sand knowing that Christ is a sure foundation. But this morning, what I want to do is kind of challenge that notion and and explore some of the ways that I think that we all, from time to time, put at least one foot on the sand. Some of you put your whole lives on the shaky foundation of sand. So let's look at what some of those are. The first one is this. I believe one of the foundations of sand that we often maybe don't even know we're building on is this foundation of religion. Foundation of religion. Now in this, what I mean by that is not in the things that we do. It, like for example, our religion causes us to gather to get, uh, together once a week at least and, and sing praises to God, to hear instruction. Our religion gives us a basis for some shared beliefs, even some shared lifestyle behaviors. Those things are fine. But religion, when you're basing our life on shaky sand of just religion, it's when we get caught up in this idea that the things we do are enough to sustain us. And the things we do, we can do in our own power. Consider this. Some things that we do for religion is perhaps we like to read our scriptures daily. Maybe pray. Maybe we give money to our church and we share our faith with others. These are good things. They're part of our religion. But the problem comes when we think that those in and of themselves are enough to give a standing before God. We think that if, we, if one of those things fails, that somehow we're falling short. And the reality is we're all falling short of God daily. And there's a very subtle difference between building our life on the foundation of Christ. Do we still do those things? Of course we do. But we do those with the heart that says, God, there but by the grace of God go I. I could fall into sin without your strength. God, I do these things, but I can't without your power within me. I can't do it. Do you know how burdensome it is to wake up every day and to look at your Christian life and think it's a checklist? And you go through your day and say, okay, I prayed, made it that far. Okay, now I'm going to read my Bible for 10 minutes. Okay, now I'm going to drive nicely all day, all the way to work. (laughs) Even when the person in front of me is going too slow, I'm not even going to honk today because I'm doing my checklist. (laughs) By the end of the day, you can look back at your checklist and be exhausted, right? Or you look back and you say, I had it all except for one. I made one decision. I lacked integrity. Ah. The foundation of sand, when you think you can do it on your own, it's going to crumble. My wife and I had a, have a good friend who was kind of one of those people that I would say was, was, I don't know, very religious, very holy. In fact, sometimes holier than thou attitude, but she, she had the Bible memorized. She prayed every day. She only listened to music. For Christians she didn't watch movies that weren't for Christians, you know, she had she had all the checklist figured out One of those things that you look at and you think wow I I couldn't measure up to what she's doing and sometimes she let us know that but that wasn't the point but But she based so much of her life on having the right outward behaviors the shock that came to my wife and me one day was when she called it was after college and we were married and living down here. She was living in the Northwest and she called and said, Hey, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but I was hanging out with a friend and we were kind of going through some hard times and we we're comforting each other and I got pregnant. And I don't know everything that led to, well, I know it led to the pregnancy, but I don't know what led to getting to that point in their life. But what happened from that point on was she went through a couple of years that were very difficult. Because her whole life was based on having the right behaviors. It was based on being able to check off her list at the end of each day and say, there, I'm good enough. And now what happens when that all crumbles? She wasn't built on the foundation of Christ who said, let me be all in you. Let me be your power each day. Walk through life in my grace. Walk through life relying on me, not on you. Because eventually it's going to catch up. When I first became a Christian, I was living at the time in in the Midwest. And the pastor of our church was the father of one of my friends who kind of was instrumental in leading me to Christ. And I used to spend time at their house. And this pastor, it was a pretty large church. He said he woke up every day. I remember him telling us this. We're sophomores in high school. So I wake up every day and I get on my face and say, Jesus, I can't do this today. I can't live for you today. I can't even have the strength to be nice to my wife and to my kids. I I can't do it without you. Would you empower me today, Jesus? You see, the difference is really subtle. You can look at both people and think that they're doing the same thing. But one was relying on her power. She was relying on the religion in her life. The other was saying, I build my life on Christ in me. Because I know that on my own I can't do it. I just can't do it. Some of us in here are burdened. Burdened by your own faith. Burdened by your own good deeds. You look at your life and think, I just can't do enough. And the reality is you can't. You can't. And it's a shaky foundation if you don't give up and say, Christ in me. The good news is about our friend is she's she and her family and her, who became her husband and kids or a godly family who learned what it means to have the right foundation through this circumstance. But the floods had them for a while, took them away. It's a burden when we try to rely on our own religion. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually says this in verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, take my, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now you think, what does this have to do with anything? This is not really for the message today, but it's a, it's a side note. this is free of charge is um, Jesus well, thank you, Andy. <laughs> appreciate that. One person thinks I'm funny. I'm, I'm standing right here. Okay, so um... <laughs> So the yoke, when a Jewish rabbi or sage would teach. Their interpretation of the law, they, what they said, this is what it looks like, was called their yoke. So, for example, if they said, my yoke of, of law, when I'm talking about the Sabbath, means just go to church, they'd say, this is my yoke, this is the burden I place on you. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, because my yoke is easy, my burden is light, it's a Jewish way of saying, when, the way I tell you what it means to follow the law and follow the ways of God, that's not burdensome. You can live out of the burden of your own efforts. Take my ways if you're weary. The foundation of our religion, it fails us. But our foundation of our heart to follow Christ and say, change us and transform us. That's really what this whole sermon has been about. Paul continues and picks up on that that imagery in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, when he says, there is no foundation. Other than on christ jesus no other foundation that you can build on So the foundation is christ. It's not your works It's not what you can do. It's not even your religion Another foundation that I believe is something that is kind of more subtle It's a little more difficult to notice sometimes, but it's a foundation I wrote it as a foundation of self or i'd say the foundation of individualism See here in the west. We like everything to be just about us, right? You would say, "No, my faith is about me and Jesus. Everyone else, I don't care. As long as my faith is me and Jesus, that's fine." Now, to an extent, there's some truth in that. We live in a Western culture, but the reality is, is that is not biblical. Scripture is written to people who don't live in the Western culture, in the Roman era. Scripture, almost 100 percent of the commands in Scripture are given to a community. It's with the assumption that you can't go through this life as an individual. When my wife and I were living in the Middle East, one of the things that I kind of thought was funny is every morning on the bus, I'd hear conversations and people would talk about they'd start with politics and religion. (laughs) What are the two things you avoid in America? (laughs) Politics and religion, right? Why? Oh, this is because this is just about me. This is just my thing. In the Middle East, it's like, no, this is we start there. We might get to the weather. (laughs) They'd say, you want to know what the weather is? Look outside. Okay, good. We start being shallow. Why? Because our lives are individual. We don't want to infringe. We don't want someone else to infringe on us. And somehow we think we have that sure foundation. If it's just as long as I'm okay, we're okay. And Jesus, and the model throughout Scripture is no. The foundation. If you think you're going to get through life alone, just you and Jesus, that's a good start. But shaky sand. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. Again, speaking of foundations. He says this in verse 19. We have it up there for you. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints. And you are of God's household. How many households just have one individual in them? Okay, they don't. All right. So having been built on the foundation of the apostles, Christ, our cornerstone. Again, here's the foundation in whom the whole building is being fit together together. and growing into the holy temple of the Lord. In other words, we are all being fit together on the foundation of Christ. We don't journey alone. It's shaky foundation. That's why here at Seacoast, we talk a lot about life groups and kind of sharing life together. It's one of our big three ideas. We love one another towards maturity. We use life groups for that. We have something coming up in a couple weeks. It's kind of a mini life group. It's on Sunday mornings called Rooted. It's for those of you who aren't in a life group yet and even those of you who've been around the church for years and you think, I don't want to really talk to anyone else. (laughs) It gives a 10-week experience where you can journey with some other people in this group called Rooted. And that's my plug to sign up for it. (laughs) But it's to share life together. It's a discussion group about issues of faith. The reason we do that, because we know the foundation of living as an individual is shaky. It's sand. We need to pick one another up think of all the one another's in scripture that come to your mind right now You have love one another confess to one another pray for one another serve one another Jesus said the world will know that you are my followers by your love for one another. He didn't say by your love for yourself It implies that we journey through life as a group together It's the sure foundation Again, when we were living in israel, I think that became very apparent to us the need to have others in our lives My wife and I for the first time I think in our lives were in a culture where we were different than everyone else We were living in a country where the dominant the two dominant religions didn't like ours And they let us know And they let our kids know And it's a really lonely place living on the other side of the world away from your friends. And then to know you don't even have people who share your faith. It was lonely. It was difficult at times. It became easier as we started started to get to know some people who followed Christ. Good friends of us to this day. One, a Palestinian Christian and his wife became dear to us in times that we cherish and couldn't wait to hang out with them because finally we weren't just doing it on our own. We were journeying together. So a foundation of thinking you can do it on your own is shaky. And I know for some of you that's challenging because I know for me that is. I don't like the idea of signing up for life groups sometimes. Sorry, Jonathan. (laughs) I kind of like to just show up, smile, say hi, and then go home. I like pay at the pump at the gas stations because I don't have to talk to anyone. I can get out and do it. And if the gas, if the thing's broken, I'm like, I gotta go get another gas station. <laughs> I like to be individual a lot of times. I do. I love that. I never regret it, though, when I build friendships and relationships with other Christians. I don't, I never regret it. It's just one of those things I think, ah, oh, I gotta go do that today. <laughs> I love it, but I, I never really look forward to it until I open myself up. Some of you are sitting there and saying, oh, I know. Okay. I relate. I get it. But We got to give up that shaky foundation. And finally, here's the last one. The foundation of your own power and wisdom. The foundation of the things that we have that we think will give us strength to get through the floods of life. Some of those are obvious ones, right? We, we have the foundation of our, our finances, our personal wealth. Foundation of your job. Maybe your home, a foundation of your status and your position, your salary, these kind of things that we use as our foundation. Some of you, it's a foundation of your good looks or your strikingly handsome bodies. (laughs) Some of you are looking around like, who? Uh, (laughs) All of those things will eventually fail you. I'm sure many of us recall 2008 towards the end of the year when our economy kind of started to collapse many of us lost half of our net worth overnight you think that was a strong foundation then sure some of you have bounced back some of you are doing better than ever but how did you feel then did you feel like that was a sure foundation to get you through life now some of us have that and that's okay but that's that's not a real foundation when the floods come these things go now maybe some of you are saying well i don't really possession i don't really Uh, Think my possessions are my treasure or my foundation. I know they're not But what about the other things in life? See in matthew 6 19 jesus Says where your treasures are there your heart will be and we talk about that being your possessions and it is But I think it's even more than that He's alluding to things in our lives that are false foundations And you want to know what your real what things you really treasure the things that are your false foundations in life? Think about something that you that you worry about constantly. Think of it. Do you have any worries? Now, some of you say, "I don't worry about anything." But that's because you're 14. Um, we all have things we worry about, right? Some of you, it is the stock market. You look at it every day, and your mood is based on where it is. Follow your worries, and you'll find what you treasure, and you'll find where you have some false foundation. So maybe you worry about money, and you follow that, and you find you treasure your money. Maybe you worry about the value of real estate. Follow that, and you find you worry about your possessions, your home. Okay? Some of us have still escaped, right? You're going, okay, I'm good. Some of you obsessively worry about your own kids. Okay, Should we worry about our kids? Yes. Do we want them to be safe and have good lives and and grow up in a loving family and and have what they need? Yes. But some of you treasure your kids and your kids are a false foundation. It's a reality. Some of you, if that foundation was taken away, that everything in life would crumble. Follow that worry. Now, I I worry about my kids. I love my kids. I think my kids are great. In fact, I think my kids are better than your kids. (laughs) I think they're smarter, they're better looking, they're just all these things, I do. Some of you in here are like, hey, I'm friends with your kids, that's not nice. Um, (laughs) And it's so easy for me to treasure them to the point where they're my foundation. Sarah and I, uh, a friend of ours, uh, they had one child who was born uh, deaf, and then another one, their child, her older brother, was totally healthy, fine, until he four years old, one day he had a seizure. They brought him into the hospital and found out that he had a heart condition, and if he didn't get a new heart within a year, then he would die. And fortunately for them, but unfortunate for another family, there was another girl who lost her life and donated her heart. And he's now eight years old today, and he's living. He's totally healthy. He has someone else's heart. So far, it's a good story but I don't know how well I would handle that situation. I don't know that I would skate through that with great faith, saying, no, 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 Christ is my foundation. And I'm not saying to be heartless and not care about your kids. You should absolutely care about your kids. You should absolutely pray for them and, and do everything you can to love them. But it's so such an easy thing to let their, your kids to be your foundation. And if something happens, what slips away? Oh, that would be tough for me. I know it. I know it would be difficult. Examine your lives. What are the things that you said if this was taken away, it would be, it would be tough. Guess what? You have one foot on the sand, just like I do. And Christ is saying, let me be enough. You can still absolutely care for these things. You can still be a good steward. You can still make wise choices, but know that even in all of that, your ways will never measure up. Some of you actually don't listen to the full call of God because you don't want the things you treasure to be affected. It might be your finances. It might be your kids. If God called your family today and you clearly heard, God showed up and knocked on your door and said, Hey, guess what? I have a mission for you. And you think, okay, I'll hear it. (laughs) And he said, I want you to move to a third world country and to serve people who are less fortunate with you. Some of you would say, let's go. Some of you will say, wait until my kids are in college. Then I'll go with my wife. But I'm not going to take my kids there because it might be dangerous. You want to know where your false foundation is? (laughs) Sometimes we quench the spirit of god and what he wants to do because of things that we think make us secure When the truth is nothing secure except for following christ I know isn't this uplifting. Oh, ryan. We love when you speak (laughs) We end with this isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 says this god is speaking He says my thoughts are not your thoughts nor your ways my ways For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts are higher than yours. In other words, I know you think you're smart. I know you've got a really good plan of how everything's going to work out. I know that everything you have you think works, but just know that I'm God and I've got got it figured out better than you do. See, the false foundation is thinking, God, I, I got this one. I'll go serve the poor as soon as I've got my act together. I'll love my neighbor just as soon as, you know, I, I got to take care of my kids first. I got to do this first. We, we come up with all of our excuses. God says, no, my ways are not yours. But my ways are our sure foundation. And ask the worship team to come on up here as we end our time. I think I, I love that this is the passage that ends the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that deals with religion, as opposed to inner transformation. The passage that deals with our stuff and what we treasure in our, our own power and our own wisdom, as opposed to treasuring the things of God. I love that this passage deals with our own hypocrisy. I love that this passage tells us about a loving God, the Father who we can approach in prayer with confidence. And I love that Jesus wraps it all up and says, hey, the choice is yours. Take the foundation of me or keep building on your own stuff. But we've all seen the image that he was referring to. The floods will come. Where will you be standing? It's tough truth for me and my guess is for many of you. So as we pray, I want to ask you to be honest and examine your heart. Find where your false foundations are and say, God, I know this is my foundation and it's false. I give it to you now. But I can't even do that without your strength built on you. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you that even though you give us this tough truth, this radical challenge to follow you, to love like you, to, to do things that we just can't do in our power. God, I thank you that though you call us to do that and we fail, you continue to call us. I pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would break through our hearts. Help us give up our false foundations us give up those things that we think make us secure. When in the end, they're just temporary. They're sand. Help us build our lives on You and You alone. God, even as we have a time of offering, I pray that this time would also be our giving up of false foundations and just declaring that You are King of all of this stuff. As we interact with one another this morning and in our groups. In our life groups, I pray, God, that it would be us giving up that self, and saying we're building on something bigger. We need you to change us, and we need your strength. So we ask that here in this place now, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and help us build our lives on you.